Welcome back. It's been too long. <sighs> Way too long. Way too long indeed. But we got a show for you. We got a show. We got one of the highly, highly, highly most listened to guests on this show, Michael Hinden. Michael Hinden is a longtime friend of myself because he's from my hometown. He's from Davie, Florida. And we've somehow come together out here in Southern California. And maybe it's because he's doing business with my family. Maybe it's because he's dating my sister. But he is an incredible individual. Not just because he's also a former college professional athlete, but also because he's one of the most knowledgeable, not just cannabis farmers I know, but knowledgeable people I know. Our conversations are always, always very, very, very highly tested because we both think we know way more than the other knows because we both know a lot. And I don't think I have a better conversation or debate with someone else than I do have with him. And I'm very, very lucky, like all the people get to have on my show, where I get to ask questions about, get to ask questions to people who have completely, completely unique takes and perspectives on the world. And they have great, great, strong voices about who they are and how they see things and why they see the things the way they see things. And I get to have conversations with those people. I'm here to bring those conversations and those minds and those ideas to you guys and girls, women, different pronoun people, all you guys, I can't even say guys, everybody out there, everyone, everybody, I said the same thing, (laughs) but that's the guest we have on our show today, and this is a long one, but these are why my, why I'm, why these shows are my favorite, these hour 45, two hours, I mean, if I could go three, four, five hours, I would and I could. These are what podcasts are all about, long-form conversations, long-form storytelling that brings you a whole new way and a whole new take and a whole new position to sit in, listen, and to learn from. Maybe not even to learn, but to take on something else about this world and about this reality. So we're going in this episode, Michael Hendon. Real quick memo, they got a new harvest out, Private Stock Veganics, they got their first harvest with their brand new grow going to be dropping soon we mentioned where you can find that stuff but make sure you go follow them on private stock veganics private stock distribution um private stock veterans and private stock veganics yeah that's where all you can find them and you know all the knowledgeable cannabis stuff we also shot a video so if you want to know what kind of stuff they're growing and what kind of stuff you're looking at you can go see that over on my youtube channel that link will be in the bio as well but i'm gonna stop talking and i'm gonna get over into today's desk episode 11's Michael Hendricks. So, but but you're missing the premise here. The premise here is so uh, we would call it critical points of influence, and the earliest critical point of influence has the greatest influence on the energy cycle. So, when you go through a process, the first step determines the potential for the rest of the steps. If you knock down to fifty percent at step one, by step seven. You can only still be at 50. Does that make sense? You can't gain back loss on total potential. So you're never going to go outside and get your 15, 20 minutes of sunlight a day. Is that what you're saying? In a no. very scientific way? No. What I'm saying is, is vitamin D is part of step seven. So getting sunlight, the reason it's important is because of step one, which is the infrared and ultraviolet light energy being absorbed into your body. Mm-hmm. So the energy aspect of it. That triggers all these processes, which eventually lead to a use for vitamin D as part of your phys- like biological system. Okay, I get all that. But yeah, I feel like I still get enough, even though I'm not tan. Do you? 
Yeah. When's the last sure. time you got a physical? Did you get that checked out? Um, I had a physical probably like six months ago, and they said I was healthy as fuck. I had no cavities. Doctor said healthy as fuck. Pretty much. He said I was. He was surprised I was a smoker. Is what he said actually. Oh yeah, I love going to the doctor. I love having that patient doctor confidentiality, and they're just like, okay, so what do you what do you do in your spare time? You well, know, I smoke a lot of weed and I play video games and grow uh, plants. And well, like, I wow. drink and then I go through the whole smorgasbord of you know everything else I do, and they're yeah. just usually like, how are you alive? Yeah, yeah. The best part is telling them you do psychedelics, and they're just like. You've done LSD? Yeah. You've done psilocybin mushrooms? Yeah. They don't say psilocybin. They just got mushrooms. Now. The doctor doesn't even know the scientific term. Yeah. Or the, was it the animal kingdom name? Psilocybin would be for it? Or is that the plant name? I actually think, actually, I think it is psilocybin cubensis. So mm-hmm. I think it is part of the scientific name. Yeah. I believe that it's, I think it's genus species is actually the way it's categorized. Um, and then family would be another designation, but I think the way they're named is genus species. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great to know more than a doctor. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I liked it. Like, it's really, they were in the first era of humankind where if you read up on a topic and you do the right research, you will be more or as well informed as many experts at certain aspects of the topic. So, like, you can really learn about like a mushroom several types of mushrooms and be an expert well that's the great thing now doctors are going to have to learn about psilocybin at least it's now in two states it's passed medicinally so now you can yeah. doctors can start prescribing or what kind of doctor is going to be prescribing it is that going to be the shrink is that going to be your family doctor oh you just need a little bit of an eighth of mushrooms I'm going to send you home with a nice eighth what I, a time I, I, it'll probably be psychologists if I had to guess but there's a lot of psychology studies I think is where it all came out of it's just showing benefits for I think I think the recommendations are like once every three to six months or so mm-hmm. they tell you to go trip I think that's a, that's a black market prescription right there as well you know every three to six months go take a good trip yeah yeah it seems to be scientifically backed now so some would say that's true uh, scientific process is letting animals operate in nature and seeing what their habits form. And their habits, if they're uh, completely uh, unfettered, will end up resulting in the best case scenario, if that makes sense. So, like, if you leave any animal out in nature, it's going to naturally select itself into the most survivable version of itself. Humans are the only animals in the world that do this in the opposite way. Where we ruin the efficiency of things. Everything else, just by existing, makes the environment more efficient. So are you saying it's going to be a good thing that mushrooms are now being prescribed by doctors? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the more natural interactions we stop outlawing, the more you'll have natural interactions with medicine again. Versus, same thing with food, same thing with everything. We had this from like the 1970s to the 1990s. We had this obsession with what humans could create. So we were creating these combinations of chemicals and minerals that are in formulations that natural systems have never interacted with. And then we put them in scenarios where they weren't tested the way Mother Nature usually tests new things. So they got special treatment and they, and they really were exploited for profit. But most importantly, they're just not as beneficial as natural processes. So it's it's weird that they were allowed to survive. Mm-hmm. But we have this, like like I said, humans are the only ones who create ulterior motives that aren't a long-term success to the equation, but give individuals um, isolated success. 
And we're seeing a bunch of that now. Well, we saw a bunch of that, excuse me. Like you said, that we were able to strip down the corn plant or even like coconut oil like we were talking about yesterday. Mining. I mean, we can go through oil drilling. All of these are are non-sustainable business models that are built off of unsustainability. And even the markets themselves become that way to where like oil is either making it richer. It's a a boom or bust market. But that's... It's kind of like we were talking about the Dr. Seppi guy. Dr. Mm-hmm. Seppi is uh, Nipsey Hussle's doctor, or I mean, what's, so, what's that relation? I don't even know. So from Nipsey my understanding, Hussle, Nipsey doctor. just wanted to make a documentary about the man, and he was one of the few individuals who claimed to have cured cancer and HIV with a plant-based diet and uh, meditation and, uh, um, uh, what is it, fasting? So uh, basically through natural remedies and I would say holistic solutions he not only cured individuals but then uh, went to court with the government because um, uh, I believe they he was either facing jail time or suspension of his license or several for what? for claiming to cure you can't claim to cure cancer and HIV without being able to back (laughs) that and he won so um, he was very, very old when he died. Some well, pe- what year was this? I, like, I didn't even hear about this till recently when uh, Nipsey Hussle passed away. And then so you that, guys start shouting out Dr. Seppi, Dr. Seppi. I'm here I, Dr. Just, Seppi I just here. thought it was so conspiracy theorists. Well, I've heard other people about talk it. about it too. Other people are like, yeah, oh, Nipsey Hussle. Are you got a Dr. Seppi then. Like, like, it seems like they go two and two together. Well, I didn't even know who Nipsey Hussle was until he passed away. I wasn't. A, I wasn't a big. Song. I wasn't a big Nipsey fan either, to be honest. I just knew of him because he was making a documentary about okay. uh, Doctor Sebi. So I, I, I'm sure I'm one of the rare reverse engineer. Like I found Nipsey through Doctor Sebi. Me too. Guilty. But, but yeah. So it's a. Uh, it's just one of those things that comes back to um, your body has so many natural processes that we don't even look towards because. The past generation before us were obsessed with this alternate uh, chemical medicines are alternate medicines. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the reality. Plants aren't the alternative medicine. It's what people have been using as medicine and are the basis of chemical medicines. Mm-hmm. Those are alternative medicines that we invented in the '60s and to current time. So what do we have? Like let's call it 60 years of alternate chemical medicines. And about 20,000 years of natural herbal medicines is what humans have been utilizing. So if you think of it that way, plant-based medicines or really just homeopathic um, influencers. Because that's what really what a lot of plants do, in my opinion, is they can change your homeostasis. Mm-hmm. So whether it be minerally, whether it be an immune response whether it be a a catalyst um, for digestion, for your microbiology. Um, They really play the connecting role between your microbiology and your energy system. I mean, what about the soil not being that nutrient dense? Because I know that's a big problem. When I had Sean Baker on the show, I know you listened to what he had to say. Yeah. The same thing was about, you know, well, yeah, these plants have these nutrient value in it. You know, it's whether can we extract it from it or do the plants have that in it anymore itself. I mean, you're talking about the land being stripped and all this stuff and all these plant medicines being there for 20,000 years, and that is true. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, have we completely destroyed the soil and the plants that the biodiversity or the nutrition that comes in the plants just not even there anymore? Well, I would say biodiversity is still being preserved because there's enough 
um, like-minded farmers across the world that try to preserve biodiversity. The key is getting it back into the mainstream. Like I said, I think we've gone into um, it's it, it's two factors. The first factor is this new alternative farming which they now call conventional farming, which in my mind doesn't make sense because, once again, should we farm. Farming? Well, in my opinion, it should be called alternate farming because the way that we have farmed for thousands of years was growing using manures and uh, other plant uh, scraps as fertilizers. Yeah, decay. Decay, which is the natural process. Versus after around the real six- quick, this is a personal question. Yeah, I got some of those mint mint leaves falling. Should I let those just get right back in the soil and be eaten up, or do I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make a I mulch. Make, sure make a that. mulch layer. Sorry for everybody, but no. I have to find out now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Use it as a mulch layer. So instead of using mulching and manures and wastes as the fertilizer, we we went to alternate farming and we started, which they now call conventional farming, which is using chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides. Um, as an, and really it was pushed by the companies who created them. So they started subsidizing it through the government and then farms became dependent on the subsidies. And now we're at the point where Republicans are socializing farming in America. We're now socializing the corn and bean market. So it just shows you how far they've pushed uh, socialist farming and it's kind of ruined the quality because when you're using these chemicals and these pesticides what you don't ruin the mineral values the mineral values are still there mm-hmm. but the microbiology that is the connection between the minerals getting from the soil to the plants in a highly efficient and effective way to create mineral diverse and mineral rich plants um, is what's being devastated. So the overall fertility, the availability of the minerals have been exponentially reduced in this era. Is that because the field's not being, sw- the crops aren't being switched up? I mean, we grow one crop and so... So crop rotation is kind of a myth. It's polyculture. Really? Yeah, so there's no crop rotation in nature. I tell people, just go back. Good, what is science? The study of nature. So let's study nature, right? Let's go back to nature. Listen, I play... Uh-huh. old fighting games like yeah. age of empire so i know when i had to farm that field one of the new technologies was uh what's rotating it called crops. rotating your crops you know it was a brand new you went to the iron age right there and it was like big times big things happen so you in, got more food so that's where i know this from and some of my biology lessons in high school so uh-huh. you're saying this is a myth so the next game is gonna have polyculture and and what's interesting is so western civilization ruined this so the ancient oh, culture wow. in Mexico. Is there gonna be a virtue signaling gonna come in right here? No, 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 no. It's just a factual assessment of okay, farming. Okay. This is a factual. That was a hatred of you know white no, 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 Western no. civilization. Well, in this case, I mean, sure, you can form your opinion on the factual historical situation that occurred. You know, whether you liked it or not. So in Mexico, <laughs> there's this uh, society called Tenochtitlan. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing Tenochtitlan. it. Tenochtitlan. There you go. Capital it was this Aztec Empire. Boom. In Mexico City. So in this city. Um, it was a city on a lake mm-hmm. and the entire way that the city was designed is that they could irrigate their fields that were inside of the city with this lake. So they would have nature irrigate the fields through the lake and they'd be able to control it. And they had a market and everybody was able to afford all the food there. There was no poverty because everything was so sustainable. The price of food was very, very low. I'm so mad. Like that's another place back in time if I go to. It'd oh, be I, oh 15, 18, right before Cortez got there. So yeah, before anybody. So and at that time, it was uh, millions of people. Lived oh, they had 250,000 estimated that were living there. I thought I'm big on pre-Columbian history. So I thought they said during market days it would swell to over a million, maybe, maybe two outside, million. But yeah, an inhabitants of 250k. But I okay. could see it could swell. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you have a market. Yeah, so. we're, we're both not wrong. 
There we go. Maybe. Right. I could probably be wrong. We'd definitely swell to one million on a market day. So we'll, we'll just leave it at the fact that you had this city that was uh, in a in a indigenous, backwards, third world country that was able to operate more efficiently than modern cities. So if you're able to scale these cities instead of having massive metropolises, if you had, t- uh, let's say... Say New York is, let's say a major city is 20 million. If you had 40 of these instead of one major city, you'd have sustainable lifestyles for these masses of people. Mm-hmm. You'd be a lot more distributed throughout the United States. You'd have a lot more um, happy people, less poor people because things are more efficient. Now you have to design polyculture. Um, naturally irrigated systems that depend on microbiology they weren't using chemicals they weren't using pesticides Mm -hmm. they were using polyculture and the reason that polyculture works is multifaceted so one aspect of it is is different plants will cultivate different microbiology Mm -hmm. so the more the more diversity of plants you have the more diversity of microbiology you have so the more diversity of microbiology you have a bunch of different things just growing in the same field Exactly. And and then what the, you let Mother Nature do is Mother Nature will show you which ones should be growing there or not. The things that shouldn't be growing there will die. Mm-hmm. The things that flourish are meant to grow there. And what will end up happening is is the secession of plants of the or the secession of microbiology as the microbiology becomes more fungally dominant, more complex plants will be able to live there. So once the soil rebuilds the microbiology, so remember, let's say the chemicals devastated, no microbiology, too much Roundup. We start re-inoculating with compost, the microbiology, more and more fungus will be there. All of a sudden, trees will start, even trees will start flourishing. Mm-hmm. So these complex plant systems will start flourishing. Once you start having trees, you're able to have fruits and other veg and, and large harvest to so that you can have ruminants and like cows and stuff that eat the grasses, they reproduce the grass, you have other animals running in eating the fruits. And that's how really an ecosystem, what we would call regenerative. So regenerative agriculture is, regenerative polyculture is the next age of empire addition that you would progress your civilization to. Now, have you always been a farmer? Or do you even consider yourself a farmer today? I'm definitely a farmer today. I was definitely not a farmer for most of my life. I really didn't get into farming until I got out of uh, what I called the me life. So when I was an athlete and I was trying to, you know, be Michael Hinden, the greatest soccer player ever, mm-hmm. um, I didn't really care about anything that wasn't me and progressing my development exclusively. And then it kind of took a little bit of injury. Me getting into cannabis kind of diverted my attention away from me a lot. And the more I, and then I really got into nurturing cannabis. And once you start nurturing plants, you start like kind of reassessing the hierarchy of what I would say human arrogance, anyways. Because I, I know myself, you always put yourself above things that are we'll call less vocally sophisticated. Mm-hmm. So once you start appreciating how sophisticated a plant is, or fungus and bacteria, you, you in my opinion, start being able to appreciate. Uh, activity such as farming, yeah. which is really nurturing. It's caring about something that's really almost nothing to do with you f- for delayed satisfaction. It's probably and one of our bigger, biggest arrogances. Is the be arrogances at the plural? Mm. I think we're most arrogant about it is go. our lack of understanding of other species uh-huh. on the planet. Like whether it's a oh well, we don't understand what this dolphin's saying, so it can't be intelligent. It's it's almost intelligent because it can speak, but 
it doesn't speak what we what we want to hear yeah, i think yeah, we can yeah. comprehend same thing with plants being able to communicate i know you've said this before there's a whole radio lab episode about it just oh there's a tree over here like about 20 feet away that's struggling to get water let's send more water its way through the roots so i or saw let's that take less not water. 20 feet i saw something that says oh, several they miles to, they can do several miles so like trees so when you start getting these complex fungal networks remember we're talking about the development of microbiology and this is what i tell people so appreciate even more basic than the plants let's go microbiology because mm. once those are very complex and developed the fungal networks can communicate miles so trees on one side of the forest can communicate with the other side of the forest as soon as there's drought stress they say they can uh track and visually see these infrared signaling that goes along through the soil so yeah miles and it, it is all dependent on its symbiosis with fungi and that's why i always go back to that conversation remember we talk about even human diet and soil diet plant diet um is all my opinion based on maximizing fungal symbiosis mm -hmm. because remember fungus is uh different than plants and animals it's not part of the animal kingdom but it's more animal than plant. And now able for prescription from your psychiatrist. Exactly. So, so mushrooms. And, and that's one example of how powerful, in my opinion, fungus can be as a facilitator for something else. Like we said, it's a whole different subset of the animal kingdom. It's not an animal. It's not a human well, Remember, being. it's not even a subset. It's a different kingdom. Yeah. So it's like it's like it, a lot of people, I feel like my brain has always saw it as a plant. I always thought it was a plant. Mm -hmm. Um or uh, a bacteria, but it's actually, uh, or like a single-celled organism, but it's actually off of, uh, when it split, it split away from plants as something on its own, and then animals came after that. So it's like more animal than plant, technically. Yeah, there's even crazy theories that it came, you know, how life came on a meteorite uh -huh. uh, from outer space, uh -huh. and that fungi as well came from on a meteorite as a different subset. And So just talk about that as a, as a theory. So whether it came from it's spontaneously created on Earth, or God well, placed it on Earth, Adam, or a Adam meteor, and Eve, you know, who says who says Adam and Eve wasn't the first story of mankind after God put fungus on Earth? Because according to the development of life, bacteria and plants weren't enough to get to animals. We needed fungi first. Mm -hmm. So that's how essential they are to the connection. Well, single cell, yeah. We started with the single cell. Well, without the fungi, there's no connection. So if you took them out of the key, then you'll never have animals with just plants and bacteria. It's just not possible. You, uh, can't, e not? you can't even have complex plants. So, so, so why not? Certain plants can't accumulate certain minerals without fungi. So why are not using pesticides and chemical fertilizers that kill fungi so important? Because you're literally preventing the plant from being able to uptake the complex minerals that only fungi help plants uptake. Why would any pesticides want to kill the fungi? Well, they're, well, they're not doing this on purpose. They're focusing on something else. Yeah, but I'm saying... These are like unintended consequences. Can't we, you know, strip that down? I mean, I thought that's the whole thing about Could we get up, rid of all side effects in medicine? Roundup and bear? So, I mean, like, for example, Roundup has so many unintended consequences that end up killing microbiology over significant periods of time. It takes sometimes years to remediate and the only way to remediate it is with microbiology. We haven't been able to success. How do we remediate even oil in, in the ocean? Microbiology. These are the only organisms. The algae, the fungi, to go back and eat it all up. So and then to process it and emit it as oxygen or carbon back in the atmosphere. Well, they break, they break it down into yeah. their most basic forms. 
and because they're these little decentralized organisms that decentralized. Wor- I like that. So what I what I often tell my buddies who are into crypto, I say crypto will mimic microbiology. Once software engineers understand how microbiology specializes and decentralizes work, and like your so your body is the perfect decentralized system. Your animal cell literally adopted its own blockchain called mitochondria to become an animal cell. It like brought it into its cell and then it became an animal cell. That was a different organism. Then it started connecting with other organisms, bacteria and fungi, to where your body now is 51% or more microbiology. So you're more microbiology than human. Oh, totally. And then... Is it because that many microbiologies take live in our bodies it's because your cells need that much to support their existence i mean just in our gut what do you have like trillions of different bacteria every inch of you your skin your hair Mm -hmm. all the inside lining of your lungs every bit of you is coated in microbiology because every animal cell needs certain micro specialized microbiology to support its existence it's it's necessary just like remember we talked about how the animals need the fungi to connect to plants well i know we talked about mitochondria is a offset of a bacteria that evolved to be the energy source of our body it was bacteria exactly. before or was it a virus or um I, I i i can't really classify it because i'm not that good with the terminology yeah. but, but it was an, a separate organism that was incorporated into an animal cell talked about talk about going back in time to be at a moment like when the mitochondria got linked up to the energy source of human cells yeah and you had an advancement wow. an advancement in uh in energy cycling so what are you, so humans many would say are the just the most advanced energy cycling think about that treaty though what a great what a great so it's it's the, not the even hum, a, but human cell mitochondria just said hey today's the day unspoken truth this both works for us in every single way we don't even need to talk about it let's just cycle energy more efficiently how old do you think that is like a two million year old thing because I mean we haven't been we've been this form somebody, of humans for 200,000 years if we're talking about the deepest like kind of human they've in the first evolution from away from a primate or away from um, well you're talking about the first two million years cell, ago. bro i know but you're talking about four billion that. we're talking yeah, about yeah probably billions so that mitochondria got into an animal cell and then there was a symbiosis and there's, over and there's thousands whole, of years i'm sure and there's a whole debate whether or not that that started on earth see that's i mean the evolution thing is is a is a touchy subject but the more important part is is that these systems only work on the on the earth when they're utilizing the decentralized redundancies of microbiology. And what this ensures is that you have an in-between layer of raw substances and your biology that is making things available for you. And that's really what it comes down to. And your body has a positive response. Your immune system is dependent. Everybody understands this. The more things you interact with, the more diverse your immune system becomes. Mm -hmm. So literally, the more diverse your microbiology is, the healthier your immune system is. Look at my general scale I do that on. The more engagement and interaction I do with my guests, the things they are, you have a more multi-diverse consciousness and personality. It it is very anti-fragile to be be able to engage with uh, a broad diversity of anything. Mm -hmm. So the more things change, you have more options to change with it to where you're benefiting from the change. Other people who are stuck in a singular direction, um, chemicals only, for example, is very fragile. What happens when the cost of that chemical becomes high? Very fragile. Mm -hmm. If you can 
be so decentralized that you could throw a farmer anywhere in the world and they can utilize the local microbiology to unlock the minerals in the foliage around them. No matter where they go, no matter what foliage is around them, they'll always, whether they're in a desert, anywhere, they'll be able to cultivate the microbiology. Uh, they'll be able to expand upon it. And uh, an example of this is in Australia, Alex Podolinsky did 200 acres in three years from sand to 18 inches of topsoil. And all through the work of microbiology. How do you do that? Through like, what, regenerative what, agriculture. Or the poly, what's it called? A regenerative polyculture. Okay. So he utilized, uh, he utilized, for, you start with the microbiology and the foliage in the local area. And usually you would uh, inoculate with some local uh, cover crop, they would call it, which is a diversity of different grasses and other crops. And uh, you start every single time that you would chop the the grasses and different mm -hmm. cover crop you're growing when that decomposes you're going to get uh, a mineral addition as where as well as a bunch of high grade localized micro microbe food and build the microbiology and as the microbiology builds the quality and fertility of your soil is expanded upon um in depth pretty much you guys send me that link i want to show these people what that looks like or i want to see it at least yeah. with the 18 inch layer of topsoil after yeah. being sand and dust and not yeah. dust, but just sand and it's it's, desert. It's basically desert, yeah. Okay. So it really comes down to um, there's a there's a couple great books, and I think we talked about this on a previous podcast as well, actually, um, where we talked about um, how civilizations really depend on um, the fertility of their soils, and it really comes down to what you need to live is high quality, low cost food. And well, for civilization. Not for humanity, for civilization. So basically, I believe that the fertility of your soil directly correlates to the humanity of your civilization because it ends up providing the food source, the healthy food source, for those who are least fortunate. So for example, in my opinion, the most significant way to advance modern society as we know it would to be at least be able to have healthcare and quality food that's affordably available. So right now, if you wanted organic, high-quality food, you're paying a premium for it. At one aspect, we should be promoting or at least educating the public into allowing capitalism to promote the selection of organic, properly uh, cultivated, because organic is even wa a watered-down term nowadays. But I Yeah, would, I mean, I, isn't anybody can claim to be organic, technically? Well, no, there is a process, but the process, in my opinion, is significantly flawed because you need to be, in many cases, only 51% organic. So it comes down to... How do you be 51% organic? Most of your, pr uh, your products that you use are certified organic. So you could still use non-organic things and be certified organic. So I find that to be a little bit of a contradiction. Um, I think people need to educate themselves on what products are being cultivated in living soils with rich microbiology well i think you can even look at barcodes now mm -hmm. and you can know if it's a gmo i think it even goes down to the barcode if this is gmo or if it's you know certified organic and there's another tier now mm -hmm. of organic that's like you know the kind of pro like um it's going to have information on it or it's going to be something that's certified on a higher level i think i think i'm, I'm interested gonna, to check that out because there was a guy who i talked to uh fabian garcia in new york city um Great trainer. Mm -hmm. Love all you. It does a lot of study on Russian um, training, Russian mm -hmm. medicine, and yeah. so especially we're talking about the negative ions. Yeah. He does a lot of interesting things. You'd really like uh, what he does. Mm -hmm. Trying to have him on the show. He, I mean, he has got all these different 
medicines and things like, I mean, patches, they say, okay, we're going to get you this patch that's going to have this straight transmission of B12 or this, mm -hmm. or I'm going to personally move your muscles and your organs around. It may empty your entire insides out right now, but we need to move this energy using uh, what's the infrared to measure where different organs in your body may be emitting or not yeah, emitting yeah. or processing. So he works with a lot of stuff you talk about and you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. He's an interesting personal trainer. PT, yeah. 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 Sounds like he knows what's up. There's a, another friend of mine, Ryan Conley, um, who... Uh, Davey guy? Yeah, he uses... Uh, there's uh, some of this electromagnetic technology that you use as... So STEM is alternating currents, but this technology uses direct currents. So this is how your body uses electricity. So it doesn't use alternating currents. It actually uses the direct current. And it uses uh, the whole AC/DC you see on your light switch. So DC, uh, if if you can use a DC current, you can manipulate your electromagnetic energy cycling throughout your body. So he uses a machine, and there's these guys who go in to fix their knee, and all of a sudden their hearing's coming back, their eyesight's getting better. So just this beneficial electromagnetic uh, therapy is uh, helping their energy functioning in. And instead of having negative side effects, these treatments are having positive side effects. Mm. And that's when I feel like you start getting into very sustainable treatments and processes. When the side effects of what you do are positive. That's how you know they're anti-fragile. Mm. Is when think something changed. You didn't end up with another... You didn't end up with leaky butt. You ended up seeing better. Mm -hmm. Side effects include... We've seen people increase their hearing, increase their si eyesight. Those are good side effects. It's like the side effects of exercise. It's like what you, you know, well, I'm a big proponent of that carnivore diet or even, you know, even mm -hmm. someone who goes completely plant-based yeah. after eating a certain way for such a long time. You are trying to strip away all these different channels of different um, nutrients or different um, things that may be causing different side effects. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like you look at somebody and say, oh, I have back pain. Like, oh, well, hold on. I don't, I'll never look at someone's back when they say that to me. I'm like, okay, how's your hamstrings? Yeah, yeah. How's yeah. your Achilles tendon? How's your How's your hip flexor? Can you rotate your hip? Can you even bend into a below a 90 degree squat? Yeah. Okay, you may be tight elsewhere. Before we're gonna even look at your back, let's take away the inflammation of everything that's so closely tied to your back. And I think that's the big thing Critical with diet. Points of influence. Diet as well. Let's completely strip away yeah. where someone's because like the meat thing's interesting because. Like plants, you can get all your nutritional value from eating just, like, let's say, the animal yes. or the red meat. Uh -huh. So if you can do that and you can strip away, like, just where one of your energy sources, where you're drawing energy from from the food you eat, uh -huh. it's the same thing that you can, like, strip away and say, okay, well, soy has been taken out. Well, I don't have this effect anymore. Yeah. I think nightshades are the biggest thing we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, tomatoes, um, eggplants, peppers. So let me counter it, though. So well, I'm not like, countering. I'm agreeing. Where are you coming from I'm right count, now? I'm going to counter, though. Here we go. Because I'm going to say I, you think you're agreeing, but I'm disagreeing. Ready? Here we so, go. So there's this new, there's this philosophy I like best that uh, is part of this theory in, in agriculture that they call Jadam, which really is uh, do as nature does. And he would say there is no duality. So in, in, even in that even that, in, in even that analysis, soy was a bad. Um, Terrible. Uh, see, this does this doesn't uh, this doesn't go with the 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 theory I'm I'm with. Like I said, so I have to disagree. I'm not with soy though. So, but what I would say is you should be with everything, but you have to understand the balance that thing needs. Maybe soy is something you need a tablespoon a year. Maybe it's something you need okay. five grams a year. I don't think you should be putting it in your coffee every day. Uh, okay, so so like a, ev so everything is a poison. 
everything is a if it's natural if it exists in nature well i would say yeah psychedelic effect like from something from mushrooms is just based merely a poison or a poison a, a reaction to the poison you're putting in your body well well hold up here there is doses that do not have a toxic reaction but you get the benefit from it yeah so well, that's what people reaction. call medicinal doses. But I would say even like a psychoactive trip or a psychoactive reaction, this could be a poison reaction to that's it. That's not though. Because, but, but it can be. It can be claimed that because that's how some people, I mean, you eat something wrong, you lick the back of a frog and you're having a psychoactive trip because it's poison reacting to the so body. So you, you created a duality f for psychoactive response. It's a response for sure. You're having a response, but you've created a negative duality to it. Now- I wouldn't say it's a negative duality. For sure, but I'm saying in, the, in that in that analysis, you still, even if you consider it a positive, you consider it a duality because of something. Now, what I, now the art theory I'm going with here is that that one in itself can't be the measuring stick the only measuring stick that I've seen in a chemical analysis is stress or pleasure response. So if you, you have the ability to respond to that psychoactive change. So are you anti-fragile? Are you going to benefit from the change? Or are you fragile? And is this a toxic? So with psycho, with anything with your brain, you usually have more control over than the, physic, the physical nature of it. Agreed. Now, when we're talking about pure physical nature, everything is toxic or beneficial based on its concentration. So salt in too high of a concentration will kill you. Water in too high of a concentration will kill you, and both for opposite reasons. So in too, in too little, it, you need it, it becomes a supplement, both of those things, salt or water. Too much, it becomes toxic. Replace water or salt with any element in the world any mineral in the world any natural combination of things so most things humans or fungi or plants naturally process that thing and they have levels in which that thing becomes toxic mm -hmm. so really it's a concentration thing so when we go back to any diet what i find interesting about these strict diets is we've learned that when we isolate our diet pathway we can eliminate our excesses and we actually find balance in this radical radical view. It's one of the main reasons I go those routes. You find well, you get to discover things that without going radical, you would have never gained this very edge perspective. So you so you go nothing but plant. Okay, you get to learn a bunch of things about a plant diet you never would have learned unless you had to be plant based. So let's go the other way. Let's say you go straight carnivore. Makes you completely diverse. And the experiences, unless you make sure that's anti-fragile. So, yeah, experience, experience. experience it all, and then the bus driver experience. And then I would say the bus driver challenge after the experience. <laughs> well, we'll call it the private stock challenge. Is to take your experience, <laughs> implement it into your life after, mm -hmm. because then you can achieve balance. And that's what I think people look for in happiness. Is not is something that you can only experience pursuing uh, balance. So when you pursue balance. You end up being sustainable enough in what you do that you get to enjoy it. You're not overworking and you're not under uh, motivated. You find that perfect balance of I'm energized and excited to get up and work every day and I get to pull my full amount of energy and work really hard every day. That, that balance allows you to actually enjoy your work. Whereas if you work too hard, you're not going to enjoy it. You're, you're unmotivated, you're not going to have success. So you're mm -hmm. not going to enjoy it. That's why I have this book right here. It's literally, it just doesn't leave my side relentless yeah and i'm literally that cleaner like 
any little satisfaction you get, it's like you can barely enjoy it. You can barely just give yourself a pat on the back and you're already just looking. For, you're looking for, at the, for the future? For the next mountain. Or, or you're judging your past. No, looking for the next mountain to jump over. Well, so that's the future. Yeah. So, that, so, so what they would say is, is the only way to start synchronizing with what you're doing is to stay mo- present in the moment. Mm. So be relentless, but don't think about the next moment. Stay present. And when you stay present, you can synchronize with everything that is presently here with you. Because Mother Nature is always present. It doesn't think ahead. But that's the thing. I'd say, I would say I'm present. Very, 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 very much so in terms of engaged, uh-huh. understanding, listening, um, perceiving and getting to understand someone I'm talking with or yeah. someone I'm like doing whatever it is, unique thing that they do. Uh-huh. However, you know, that motivation or that will to just take in everything and learn everything yeah. and, you know, try to understand everything and because that's life. I just want to get as, as filled with the jelly donut in my brain as I can. For sure. Just... And then when I can do that, I mean, but again, by looking forward to all those things, you For enjoy sure. it. But again, it's the it's just trying to find the balance. So I think the balance comes from pursuing versus manifesting. And this is where I know you always give me crap because I get a little bit of hooby dooby with it. Well, we'll but, see. We'll let everybody else judge here. We'll, we'll let everybody judge me whether this is this is makes sense or not. But when you pursue something, you leave the possibility for failure. When you manifest something. You have decided that you have enough grit, you have enough stick to itness that you're going to do it. It's going to get done. So when people positively are motivated, they have stick to itness, they manifest their destination. They go, This is what I'm going to do, I'm going to achieve it. When you pursue something, you already have programmed in an option for failure. I tried really hard, I gave it my best effort. This is my issue with the participation trophy. I get shameful just thinking about the... I get. I feel shame just thinking about the person who says something like that. So... And, gets me mad. So... And then I would say so... <laughs> but when you're having pure <laughs> manifesting, and something like that can never upset you. Mm-hmm. Because you can appreciate that that person just isn't manifesting. So in, instead, in my opinion, you become empathetic. And then it goes back to the humanity conversation. To where when you're pursuing something... So just the fact that you're upset that they're not manifesting, you realize that you're not manifesting. Does that make sense? So Repeat that last if, part about manifesting and not manifesting. So if you're upset that somebody isn't motivated, right? That really means that you're insecure, you're not motivated. Mm-hmm. And you're letting that be your motivation. That's not a sustainable motivation. Oh, no, definitely not. So so what I, what, what hap- it happens naturally. I mean, I was definitely guilty. I've definitely, oh, it happens uh, to me every day. All the time. When, and and, and being, being able to address that and then create a new manifestation of pure intention makes it sustainable. Well, I mean, how do you think people gain that awareness? Is it just going through the multi, multi, multi exchanges and experiences in life? Because I would say... You know, just the fact that a being podcast, present. but just a podcast, uh-huh. like being getting to that level of self-reflection, or someone who knows about cryptocurrency or podcasting, like mm. it's a very, very, very small subset of the population that yeah. even listens to these things yeah. or understands these things. And yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's the same thing goes with politics. I think people get so trapped in a bubble that they're so not present or aware uh-huh. of what people think, how other people could think that level of self-reflection i don't know if that comes from you know putting yourself in different shoes every day taking a smoke of a joint at night before you go to bed yeah you know sitting down and just listen to yourself breathe or meditate or writing what's going on in your head on a piece of paper i think it's a great exercise but 
how do we get people? I mean, because most people don't think that. It's crazy to think that people can't think outside that bubble, but it's really hard. Or we built these parameters and walls of society and civilization up that, you know, people have these horse blinders on and they can't veer outside of it. It's just, this is the way, this -hmm. is the path. I lose sight of me. So I think step, uh, I think the Tibetan monks are the first ones to figure it out because their kids, their children are actually showing very, very balanced brain function and functioning at very high levels. Tibetan monks can have kids? Yeah. I'm almost positive. You sure? They definitely have children in the monastery. So whether the kids come in or they're the kids of the monks, I'm not sure. But the kids are taught. Sounds like a whole Catholic church thing right there. Whatever it may be. I'm not knocking the Tibetan monks. They are some enlightened cats. Dalai Lama, I'm I'm coming for you. Is if we can teach the awareness, the presence that they teach their children in school, just like we teach everything else. Because it's a skill. So you teach kids to be present and aware to uh to everybody else's presence and awareness and people will choose empathy over judgment Mm -hmm. so wherever judgment comes from is ego trying to understand so your ego is going to try to understand by differentiating and usually you differentiate what you choose over what other people choose so if you're aware and you're uh, present you're willing to let somebody else be present with you instead of dictating their presence so one of the criticisms i often hear you give certain people you're like oh they only allow certain guests on their shows if they're willing to say their message you know they they don't want to give them airtime certain let's say like fox news or abc will only want to give a guest time because they know what the person's message is well i've said that sort of in a way of saying um people's messaging is is expected or biased and what i would say is is the prop like basically what you were saying was the problem in America is that people can't get out of their bubble. This bubble is their messaging. Well, I wouldn't even say it's the messaging. I'm just talking about the mindset. Before they were even getting down to the politics. Well, I would say it, they're, they're the same politics thing. Politics aside is like, hey, listen, I live in New York. I live in California. I just don't know how people could see life and think this way. And if they don't think the way I think, I'm going to take the worst word we have for people in our society. And call them that. And call them that. Well, that ends up being your politics. Nine times out of ten, if you're a coastal elite, you usually associate... And that's what I was saying. The Democrat and Republican Party, in my opinion, just turned into... If you're a coastal elite and you view these values, you'll vote Democrat. Basically, college education, um, uh, white-collar jobs. If you're uh, blue-collar and you're conservative, you're going to end up trying to... um, And religious values are high, you're going to end up being a Republican. And then you call those other people whatever you like. So what were we talking about? I don't even know. Politics. We're talking about the values of people. If you're going to be coming from a certain part of the country, you're going to have these kind of values. And you're actually the one that pointed that out to me. And I really didn't see that until a relationship. And then you said, well, if you're two people with different sets of values, yeah, you really have to come from a kind of place or the same kind of place. You know, our world is so multicultural. There may people from everywhere who can connect and connect with each other, whether it's in a relationship, whether that's intimately, whether that's just a friendship or a line of communication. Yeah. Like when you get down to the nitty gritty to really understand somebody and know who they are, mm-hmm. you kind of got to understand their values and you kind of got to express your values to that person. So they know the things yeah. you, the things you, those are your core, core tenets that you, the things you believe in. Yeah. And when you, you have to understand those things and, and we what, don't even understand those as, as a people right now. I would say, and, and what's, and what's worse is that we're, we're more unwilling to tolerate other people's priorities than ever before. So 
you, uh, we used to be able to go, okay, this is what's most important to me. I can respect that. This is what's most important to me. Let's see if we can both get what's most important to each other. Is that it? Because I think it's like otherwise, like my priorities trump everybody else's. Oh, I think that's the way it is now. For and I sure. don't, I don't think, I don't care what you think at all. I don't even want, yeah. if I don't want to hear you speak. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're speaking from is an area of hate. Yeah. You are talking hate speech. I can't communicate. With yeah. someone like you. That virtue signaling right there is like the most yeah. interesting thing to listen to people talk now. And I wasn't really listening to see if I could identify virtue signaling. But then yeah. you listen to it and you hear someone like completely put someone down and then add that layer of smugness with the I. This person's bad. I can't believe in that. And it's it's funny because those people are usually the ones that hate Donald Trump the most. Yeah, yeah. But listening to him talk, he virtue signals... Just like on, on the most conservative level, yeah, yeah. like to the zenith. And then yeah. people who hate him d- do the same exact thing. They don't really, again, where's that level of self-reflection so, and so awareness? Remember we talked about, so what, what really upsets you when you're not manifesting what you believe in and instead you're pursuing it. When you see somebody else do the thing that you are trying not to do and they do it worse than you, oh, it yeah. really aggravates you. But it's really, it goes back to this whole like your little... Like you, you, you hate that in yourself, and you got to be willing to just identify it and kind of just let it be as it is. That's the Lucy Reese shadow effect we talked about outside. That's the thing that people who under- yeah. know these things, uh-huh. they don't know how to convey these things or yeah. portray these things to other people. Then everybody just says, "Oh, that's just your fucking feelings. That doesn't yeah, make yeah. sense at all." We all want something tangible to tie it to. Yeah, yeah, and 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 really, what it comes down to me is whenever I see that reaction, is usually I just try to point out to the fact that. Um, don't let it creep. If you, if you hate it in this instance, don't let it creep into the same way you're going to approach the, the solution. Mm-hmm. So realistically, what I think is, is inevitable is you're going to end up having uh, a reincarnation of the Democratic Party. You're going to have a reincarnation of the Republican Party. But I don't and, think that's the thing that's going to help. Like re- reincarnating these two parties that literally get on TV today and say, hey, what are what? what how can we just I'm not thinking on a conspiratorial level, but I'm thinking on the idea of that. Hey, nothing's going to get done. We are going to yell and scream. And I think it's just the idea of politics. It's 17th, 18th century institution. It's great, this experiment. We have to be able to build and grow on top of it. We cannot continue evolve Mm -hmm. the great system that has been created by, you know, a bunch of white farmers who migrated over here for a generation or two and rebelled against the British to create this great piece of paper that, like we've talked about, like holds up yeah, and yeah. So many it's rules. Very anti-fragile. Very anti-fragile, especially yeah. in terms of law throughout the rest of the world. Yeah. However, how do we move on that next step? Because right now, I think the idea of having a bunch of old people go to a state capitol building and argue over this thing, when you have an idea of like the internet, where if someone wants to raise two hundred thousand dollars for a cause or a thing they have, they can do that in ten seconds or ten minutes, depending on how so, big. But who says that? Who says that? The so these old people that are arguing, and it's this way for every generation. Yeah. yeah. The people who are elected are too old. First of all, never saying it's unique. I'm just for saying. Sure. I, well, I'm just saying. Let's look at the pattern here and why I think it's good. It's definitely the pattern. The elders of society, the yeah. people with the most maturity and experience, are so usually I'm, those ones who I'll rise you, to the top I'll, of leading us. I'll give us. you the upside because we clearly understand the downside. They're not. They don't understand the pro, the hyper progressiveness that occurs right now with the internet era. Everybody. Uh, even countries like Saudi Arabia, to some extent, have a modernization, even though they're one of the most barbaric regimes in the world. They even had a, uh, what do they call it, uh, Arab Spring. So they had some sort of modernization where they're allowing women to drive. You know, There's certain things that this hyper-modernization we're having, this hyper-progressivism that's across the, the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the interesting part about the way that our government set it up is that we have these older gentlemen who are so decentralized in their decision-making and have this mix of personal accountability with local accountability for the re-election cycles that things are going to move very, very slow in comparison to however progressive or conservative the the desired movement of the administration is. So what you have here is, is you have like this super, what they call the, the weight of bureaucracy that weighs down massive changes because the massive changes is usually what ends up causing significant loss. So although it's not um, advancing at the pace we would desire it to be, some things me and you often talk about, we're at the highest rate of, rate of literacy in the United States. Where no one, no one gives us a pat on the back for that one. We have, uh, we we educate the masses better than any highly populated country in the world. We educate college students at a higher efficiency than any higher population in the world. We still um, create technology per person. Even though we only do thirty percent of people have graduated from college institutions, that's still a higher rate than the rest of the world. Oh, we graduate. Let's talk numbers. How oh, many, numbers, numbers. Okay. okay. And, and and in any other country with a hundred million people or more, isn't even in our class of graduating. Indonesia's like, got a hundred million more. They're and progressive. How many, and how many country. do they? And how many do they graduate from college a year? I know. Was, how many does Russia? How many does Brazil? So in comparison to us, we're still a leader in mass um, population dynamics. What are other hundred million plus countries? China. India. India. Um, Besides that, I mean, there's not that many, and that's because uh, it's, it's much harder to do when you're talking about this number of people. Yeah. Uh, you know what the most efficient states? Even most European countries don't even have 100 plus million. I think Germany's yeah. at 80 or 90. Um, I don't even think they're over. Yeah. So a lot of them are, are are smaller than that number. And for example, what are the states that are the most efficient in the United States? Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont. They're all running at a surplus because they're so small they can be efficient. And that goes back into what I see the movement of politics that you'll hopefully see is you'll see classic states rights conservatism and federal government big money because what we have right now are two big money federal government parties Mm -hmm. you don't have anything else you have a religious sect and you have a hyper progressive sect the hyper progressive sect is the democrats which are more relatable to the educated coastal elites because that's what they read about in school Mm -hmm. they read about being hyper progressive and all their teachers teach them to be hyper progressive Whereas people living in the real world often want things to stay the same because they don't have time to be hyper-progressive. They need to live today. So they're never going to relate to, let's change everything we're doing right now because they have to eat tomorrow. Well, I think I think people can relate. They just don't have the availability in their, you know, in their, um, in their budgets and their funding or, like you said, time to say, hey, I can go set out to volunteer and take part in this. I can take a two-week sabbatical to go do Or I can eat organic. Most people don't have that option. No. So one of the biggest things that I think that you'll see in politics is you'll see more states' rights versus federal rights on spending. You'll At some point, we'll be, we'll be intelligent enough to, uh, to really get down to the core issues of what two parties should be, is they should be a federal government movement versus a state government movement, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And once you create that, that, that party system... Then you'll have the debates on who should decide how much you spend on things like healthcare, things like education. And what it's going to come down to is you're going to see us adopt an additional constitutional amendment that'll say all humans in the United States have a fundamental right towards healthcare. All humans in the United States have a fundamental right until the age of 18 to have three meals a day. 
Mm -hmm. And once you create this minimum standard of living, you'll see the United States once again lead the world in standard of living. Because once you create a, a certain minimum that other developed countries have created through availability of food, availability of healthcare, you allow capitalism to innovate the what I would say the surplus industries, things like technology, things that are progressive. You allow capitalism in the progressive sectors in the human needs and human rights sector, you allow the government to create systems of we'll call them needs and we allow states or federal governments to do that spending. Personally, I think when you decentralize the spending through states and eventually into counties, you end up having such small groups it can be more efficiently spent and people can be held more personally accountable. So I mean I'm a classic states rights conservative, which lives in an era with very where it comes to human rights, I'm very progressive. So if I care about humanity, I have to vote Democrat. But if I care about um, small government, I have no candidate to vote for whatsoever. Mm -hmm. There's socialism, there's big budget religious judges and big budget liberal judges. So it's like, in my opinion, you need a re-education. You need a realignment of these parties to reflect what could be in the modern era. And it's it's going to be when people like, whether you like the four horsemen of the Democratic Party, AOC, when they're considered... The squad, baby. The squad. When you consider them squad. a veteran group of, of uh, representatives, you'll see a different group of veterans on the Republican side as well. Mm -hmm. And those two new parties... We know which, what's, who's that going to be, right? That's going to be Candy O. I really hope not, but I really, I really, really <laughs> hope instead it's people with actual policy ideas instead of talking. Well, do you points. think she's just making talking points now? Talking points. Do you think she's? Because uh, we, we both agree she's very intelligent. She's intelligent. She's just tapping into. Uh, well, she's tapping into that right now, but like that's the whole premise of getting bigger or getting notoriety. Uh, and the, I the whole prefer people with substance first soul. and then selling. But I mean, how many people get big just being on substance first? Um, Bernie Sanders is a good example of I that. I mean, AOC's crying in a parking lot uh, behind a fence down there. But she she built up on substance, too. Oh, well, originally, but yeah, going off and doing that, I mean. She had a lot of, but she she brought the publicity to support her substance. So she had a platform to run but on. But she was crying at a fence that w wasn't the border wall fence. She was just trying to go do that and say, hey, everybody take photos. So don't so get I mean, me wrong. That's what I'm saying. criticize they're, all of them they're for both, publicity. They're both there in order to... Because that weird thing, like, hey, I, I would could challenge Candace Owens. How many proposals have you done in the public sector? Oh, AOC are, definitely has more than her. For sure. So what I would say is, is if if you really want to make a difference, run, win, do something. I totally agree. That's why. That's why I'll get mad at people like I who had are talking respect to me. for Obama before he ran for anything. He was doing county level organization of uh, of I believe it was uh, community events. So he was getting together with all these different local councilmen and getting these community events together to promote the different causes. When we think about how Trump got big, he had to go out and say that Obama's not even an American and that he wasn't even born here in so order to get that notoriety. But that's shitty substance. Exactly. But Hold see, it's the Roger. Checking, just make sure that it's... Uh... Yeah, let's take a peek. What are, you, what are you tapping into? So in my opinion, the worst part about the Republican Party right now has nothing to do with their politics. It has everything to do with their style. Their style is based on the Roger Stone style of politics. Yeah, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, McConnell is the worst. Killed it. I sent you that NPR interview. Uh, Embedded did a great seven-part series on Mitch McConnell and the evolution of his political career. And if you haven't seen Roger Stone documentary on Netflix, these two pieces of political uh, journalism will embody my issues with the conservative 
states' rights party that we have today. Because instead of coming with substance first and then putting whatever flash you want to put on it. But I don't believe there's states' rights at all. There's, like you said, it's a complete charade or we'll facade. Call it, we'll call it conservative. Whatever your Conservative idea. religion, like you mentioned. I, I think that's... Let's say repealing Obamacare. If you were substance first, when you won the House, when you won the Senate and you won the presidency all at once, you would have had this very well-developed plan to implement that was based on states' rights. Right, you would have shown that you have the substance. If these states want to do it, they to have provide an alternative, and then when the congressional review would come, it would show that if states chose, it would give the same or better than Obamacare, and you would have got it. You would have had a huge win for the Republican Party when you would have passed your tax reform. Right now, we just got a review of that. It's done nothing but cost the government money. It's given money back to the rich, and it's cost uh, lower income Americans money. So we've lost money. Rich people have gained money from this tax reform. So instead of having a well substance or a well thought out, um, well, uh, s- uh, substantive bill that achieved the goals that it said it was trying to achieve, you have something that does what Republicans have been doing and many Democrats have been doing, which is creating legislation that gets some group rich who usually supports them. So when you don't have enough substance, you end up becoming the swamp that. The entire Republican Party is now supposedly cleansing. So it's like (laughs) there's not enough substance. You end up defaulting to the thing that was ran against here. The swamp is what we say is the swamp. And that's the problem. problem. Instead of just identifying that the swamp is third-party interest, it's very simple. Mm -hmm. And if we can eliminate – and the revolutions I see coming are we're going to have a constitutional amendment for human rights. We're going to have a constitutional amendment to eliminate third-party funding, which part of that embedded – uh, journalism talks about Mitch McConnell's role, which he literally went in and told everybody that if they didn't vote to allow the corporate contributions or if they did vote to uh, allow campaign contributions, that the people giving them campaign contributions for the Republican Party will will guarantee that they will make sure they get reelected. And if they don't, they will spend that same amount of money on somebody running against them. So they literally were the closest thing to a, a prim- like primary source, like direct quote from Mitch McConnell. Yes, this is public knowledge. He said what I what he, in his quote, his response is, I told them what is realistically the consequences of their choices. If they were not to allow <laughs> this, these entities would fund would fund an opponent. But if they if they went against this bill, it was a John McCain bill and they ended up losing. But then the Supreme Court actually ruled against John McCain. So they have to create a new bill or this or they we still have the same problem. So we actually had a bill pass um, and it, it was as law and the Supreme Court overturned it. Citizens United. What would you say we're at right now? Would you say this is a democracy? It's definitely not a republic. Like No, it's definitely a republic. It's just a republic that people don't realize their influence on the republic. We're at some of the lowest voting turnouts uh, historically, even though it's been upticked the past couple of elections. Less than half your population votes. Well, I mean, it's funny, like you said. Like, first of all, you don't even believe me that I've gone to city council meetings yeah. since I've lived out it's here. It's shocking to me because even I don't, and I consider myself a participating member of the Republic. I don't think you are. I, I, I think I, I would agree in comparison to <laughs> if you're going to council meetings, you're definitely more more represented than I am because you're there. Well, I mean, you have uh, that's my biggest thing. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, I did not vote in the ex- uh, we say the executive election. Federal election. Right? Federal election, yeah. we call it, for the executive branch of government, the president. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I voted everything locally, voted everything municipally. I mm-hmm. voted everything else 
in the place I live in order to invoke that change yeah. that I want to see. Cause that's, you know, as someone who believes in these states rights and these individual rights. And I think libertarianism is kind of very selfish, um, for, for individuals. Yeah. Um, but however, I think that, you know, you, you, you can make those changes that way that you want to see. You can be, and you can implement those things on those local levels. And, you know, if we believe in states' rights. I mean, just let people, if you believe in free market capitalism, like, let people move from your state. If your state is so bad and people don't want to live there and it's not good, there's not a surplus in this, or there's not this human right, let, let there be socialized healthcare over here. Let there be yeah. this over there. Like, and the clearest thing, like you said, would be in these federal reports, or the reports when they come out and say, oh, well, the Obamacare worked here. Hey, it didn't work here. Why isn't that working here? Simple checks and balances to measure how things can improve. But again, yeah. it's not happening that way in politics. The people who are in power are not letting those things happen. That's why I asked, where are we at if there's still so much levels of control on a power level of people that you know have so much influence whether it's monetarily or, you know, culturally, that they can place, less culturally, but they can yeah. place, you know, people in power. They can use money to dictate how people, how things get done. And people literally on the conservative side say, well, listen, if the rich people don't have money, how are they going to get me a job? That's like a terrible mindset to have. Hey, listen, uh -huh. my, my livelihood is completely tied to that individual's influence. It's a fragile relationship. So it's a fragile relationship that's also based on a scarcity model. So the scarcity model only exists in a me mechanistic understanding where I have to get from here and then it goes to there. Now, when you start understanding things from a cyclic understanding and you understand that you want distributed cycles. So if you have a decentralized resource, it's much better than, an, than I'm dependent on a single thing. So that's why microbiology is so important. It kind of ties these themes, these themes mm -hmm. together. The future of our politics will be one that is more synergistic. It's inevitable. Why? Because at some point, People are going to vote for people who get the things that at least what everybody agrees upon. I was getting to that boiling point so where people are literally like cannabis hey. is going to pass. Yeah. No matter what anybody felt about it, people agreed over time it's going to pass on a federal level. All these things that make sense end up passing eventually. And this goes back to the point I kind of never made, which was um, the reason that these old white people doing things in this, such a bureaucratic, such as decentralized, annoying way that nothing ever gets done works is because it moves it so slow, it allows us to get it right when we finally do move. But that, yeah, I think that's the biggest issue. People want to see change now, right now. And that's what every election is. But every election is is we're changing everything now. If you elect me, that's we're not reality. With people, people don't move that fast, and people can't adopt. And well, they, systems don't. And, but and but that, we're dealing with people. We're dealing with technology that moves it. It's because it's not dealing exactly. with people. Yeah, yeah. It's dictating how we use things and how we incorporate things yeah. into our lives. And so, because politics is an example of a technology, like, hey, this is this. We're going to create this idea of these mm -hmm. two parties is going to or three or four. It's going to help the system run better. It's okay. Let's put this thing in there. But politics is is you know five thousand, four thousand years old, and a mon as a monarchy and the evolving of these different tiered systems. Yeah. But. It's something that takes time. I mean, there's 4,000 years of stuff we're just trying to rustle out. Hey, we got democracy, fascism, capitalism, um, all these different p economic and political ideologies. I'd say that. Yeah. Well, I think I think what's interesting now is you can't. People do change at a rate now that that is is unexpected. So the issue becomes is how fast does politics now match that pace? So when you start seeing, so people don't change from that era. The people in office right now are from an era of not changing at that rate. People in our era change. Older than our parents. Oh, and, and, and so when our parents become the people who are too old to be elected, 
which isn't here yet. But when they become too old to be elected, Donald's not too old. He's very close. That's what shocks me is, is that all the people we choose are right on the edge of losing it. Death. Like, <laughs> like okay, uh, five years after the presidency, we wouldn't trust him with anything. Like Obama was a young president. Like I, I think we should start looking in that vein more, just as far as a mental capacity thing in general. Um, but uh, that's a whole other thing. But realistically, um, kind of, I'm losing the point completely here. Dang, we're really- talking about the old age, and we're talking about our parents and the different. So once once this older generation moves on and you start having these hyper progressive generation, because even the conservatives of nowadays are hyper progressive compared to oh, the absolutely. conservatives of 20 years ago. I mean, these young ones are really promoting, you know, whether it's like, you know, so those young libertarians. My problem is that you're getting more radical versions of both is yeah. you're getting some very, very libertarian conservatives and you're getting some very, very progressive Democrats. And what will end up happening is each party will get their share of movement. Because the other party exists, it will exponentially slow the other one down. So the, the farther you disagree, the less things happen. See how the system is kind of designed to never let crazy shit happen? Like, so if some radical party, which it, it, oh, yeah. the more things get... So eventually, people because get... Just like a Bernie Sanders last run for... Uh... And people will get so sick of shit not happening that they're going to go... All right, we want people in the middle because we just want something to happen. So then we're going to go right now. We're going through a sway. We went very, very progressive. We're going very, very religious, Mm -hmm. conservative. And unfortunately, this is Trump has now appointed over 20 percent of the federal bench. So we're going to be there for a long time because the the, uh, judicial branch is the one that gets lifetime appointments and stuff. Yeah. So he's made a big swing in that branch for a long term when it comes back. It will be probably even more progressive, and we might have even somebody swing harder than Trump the other way. But it doesn't have much more swings than that. It's an unsustainable increasing, and at some point, it's going to have to start losing. And when it loses, it's going to come back to middle, and you'll see per- and you'll see movement. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, for now, we're going to try out all the crazy stuff. We're going to go super conservative. We're going to go super progressive, and our state system, the way it works, will allow us to play all these iterations out. We're going to see what works out best, and eventually we'll progress into this new era of, in my, in my mind, either sustainability or complete collapse. Who do you like in the upcoming election? Who is pro-cannabis? Does anybody have any big legalizations? Everybody's pro-cannabis. It's, it's, it's almost annoying because nobody <laughs> because this is the problem. It's become so commercialized and so desensitized that we almost missed the real issues in cannabis. We completely are going to ignore individual rights to grow cannabis. We're going to completely ignore um, classifying uh, organic cannabis correctly. We're going to completely ignore uh, living soil education and the differences between the quality of cannabis when you're dealing with living soil and you're dealing with hydroponic, that quote-unquote conventional, what I call chemical alternative farming. Um, So realistically, what I'm hoping happens is we see uh, a moment of interest and at the same time education of consumers and the general public but really everybody's a very generic pro-cannabis candidate right now mm-hmm. so everybody's pro-cannabis it's just a matter of where they land on other issues yeah i saw something about kamala harris putting a plan already or a proposal for if she were to get elected to mm-hmm. decriminalize it 
uh, federally. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And but I think there was an interesting one out of New York because New York and New Jersey just passed medicinal marijuana uh, okay. bills. I'm not sure if there was recreation or medicinal. Probably medicinal, but I'm not sure. Okay. And you know, a group of black lawmakers mm-hmm. completely objected to it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't read into it and understand why. It's you would say, oh, these guys are just trying to ruin this. They want to make something for themselves. But it comes said free, free the imprisoned people for cannabis before you go and make money. off. Not just that, but also this idea of land ownership, because I think owning land is one of the best things to hold. And as one of the biggest stores of value as a human being. And if people who want to get into cannabis do not have land, I mean, you guys, you would know this just in general. And if you don't own land, but land is and, and now they zone it and they make it where do we buy land cost. and if certain companies and corporations have the access yeah. to this land how do we bring in whether they're going to be craft or you know just indi- even low income. individual low income growers yeah. into this space and how yeah. do where do we let them allow or where do we allot these are the land? real issues that's that are, I thought that was like that a great good. thing that they that's stalled the bill in New York and New Jersey in both both different states on that premise because that's yeah. a very 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 like hey let's go back to the root here well, let's at least because that's not just for black people. I think that's just for anybody. Like we talked about before, equal opportunity, and and that's what and that's what we're we're losing here is we've created this this non equal opportunity for all individuals across the country to where um, I saw a commercial the other day where this company was like, "We're not cannabis growers, we're businessmen who grow cannabis." I was like, "That that's the opposite of what we are. We were the people who." made everybody or were part of the movement part of the community that opened everybody's eyes to the benefits and the re- the the financial possibilities with cannabis and the the enjoyment of cultivating as part of a lifestyle we are cannabis growers who formed a business and it's the exact opposite of the what i would say the privileged class of society that is trying to kind of poach the whole industry, so it's it's really awesome to see somebody in a in a new and upcoming area actually taking that into consideration and trying to actually implement it as part of law. Because out here in California, they have certain parts of the legislation that are supposed to do this, but it's very very underrepresented. And I think what's really really behind is doing things like. Step one, how about before people start making money on it, you let everybody out who's in jail for it. So, and decriminalizing on an individual level. Well, I think, what was it, 90% of people that are in prison are for small possession? Whatever yeah. that number is. That's like, even on federally, and I know it varies from different states, but, I mean, like you said, can you make, you know, we're talking about that sway in the pendulum of how far left or right of a decision you can make. Yeah. Can we just go in and say, hey, listen, if you have this small possession go back like just hey you're good to go you're they've free. done it i mean they, i know obama mission- did that i know trump's new tax um prison reform did something along those lines as well S- somewhat um i think minnesota did all the convictions and everything really? um i have to check power to you minnesota uh, whatever state that was it might have been michigan okay um, uh, i'm i'm mixing up the details but i think that that that's the stuff that people should be uh, hyper focused on which it it seems to be, I guess, occurring more than I than I know of. So, it's uh, something that I think is essential to the whole progression of of how we treat this. Because if we're not at least being aware of the damage that was done to families and individuals and their and their you know criminal records and if nothing else their lives, um, 
and allowing them an equal opportunity to engage in the industry um, that is now birthed from that sacrifice. Um, you're not doing uh, justice, in my opinion. So, Well, in this state, the big prop or bill that passed was Prop 64. Or what happened before in the state of California? Was it decriminalized? Was it medicinal, uh, legally medicinal? Was there uh, any legality, that w the level of legality that was going on with before Prop 64 and Prop 65? So, yeah, I would say, uh, so when we were in the medicinal era of legalization in California, we had a lot more personal rights. Individuals had a lot more rights. It was a lot more libertarian. So in certain areas, like I said, in my opinion, I agree with Nassim Taleb who wrote Anti-Fragile, and he says... Proximity determines your political perspective. With your best friends, you're a socialist. You'll give them whatever you have. With somebody you don't know, you're a conservative Republican. So when it comes down to cannabis, I give people the much more libertarian trust. And uh, in my opinion, because it's not a need, you won't need to go to socialism. You go the opposite way. It's not a need to have cannabis, but it should be something that you're allowed to do on your own and it should be allowed to purchase and it should be something you can have access to. So what the legalization ended up doing is it actually reduced access to individuals and it provided for easier taxation of what they would call recreational production. So this is actually another example of big government version of implementation to where we have a extreme amount of regulation that in, in, in creates a bunch of local jurisdiction uh, oversight as well as state level jurisdictional oversight. So you have a multi-layered regulation that creates cost increase, creates uh, an, an unfair starting point for businesses because the areas in which you can cultivate have been minimized. So like I said, it's taken away a lot of the equity that was the California cannabis market and has turned it into a completely based on tax revenue system instead of one based on access. So it's going shit? It's just the swing back the other way. So it was very, very libertarian. It's going to be very, very regulated for a bit. And as people realize that the regulations are hampering the market, it'll get less and less regulated and get a little bit more libertarian. And it'll keep swinging back and forth and back and forth till we find something that hopefully gives people the access they need, gives people the freedom they deserve when handling a plant, and m most importantly, equal opportunity for everybody to be part of this economic revolution because mm -hmm. cannabis and hemp is going to be the number one cash crop in America in the next 10 years. So, Yeah, I think you mentioned our video. Go check out that video. When we took a tour of the private stock veterans facility is that it's going to be interesting when you start exporting this you know american cannabis and american hemp to the rest of the world especially if we put the kind of quality whether it's in the private private sector of like hey we want to make this the highest quality scientifically medicinally or whatever quality constraints you're going to put over it and then sending that out to the rest of the world because that like you mentioned in there is going to be a massive cash crop for you know u.s markets and u.s individuals to really clean up on especially if we can standardize and differentiate our our quality control methods so if we can really embrace this regenerative polyculture agricultural model and we start cultivating these beyond organic cannabis crops and we start really creating America as the pinnacle of quality of life for plants. I also believe we should do it for humans, but focusing on the plants, we will really be able to create what I always have seen America as, which is we try to do things better. So if we can create 
uh, a market, we're going to create very high end of whatever it is that you have to sell. So we take technology and we try to create the highest end version of technology. Fashion, we're trying to create the highest end. Sporting events, we even invented a bunch of new sports. Because even our athletes. Our athletes, the Olympics, everything we try to do is the highest end. So if we can get back to producing the highest end agriculture and especially cannabis-based products, we have a huge opportunity to the what I believe will become the world's number one cash crop. Um, to lead the way as far as the most valuable of the world's number one cash crop. Well, I think that's going to be 10 or 20 years because, I mean, I think we're still so closely tied, you know, regulation-wise, like you're talking with Prop 64, what it's doing in California, to the federal laws. Well, and let me the, counter you. What about the 63 other countries that have our drug policies and drug laws around the world? Once we change them, these treaties, many, many of them are going to become null and void on their face. So you'll have to write a new one. We'll have to write a new one. So that Is it as simple as just writing a new one? Well, they become invalid the second you pass a law that legalizes hemp. Yeah, but do you want to again? So, so again then, are we going to so see that no, big of a radical stamp and change? If that gets the second you legalize it, it occurs. It's just a. It's, it will, yeah, but it's, it's like, a, is that going to happen? Is it going to be like you said? We're talking about great, great, cra great, crazy change you can happening. Import in one Chinese swoop. hemp seeds right now on Amazon. Yeah. How about that? So you can import cannabis from China right now. So it's already happening. You can go on Amazon buy hemp seeds. It will ship from China. So it's already happening. So when is it going to happen? I would say it already is. As it becomes on the books, the legal reality will ha will force the treaties to be rewritten or they don't exist. Mm -hmm. is, that's how legal functions work. Uh, of course, of course. I'm just saying we're talking about earlier about certain big political movements happening. Suddenly, no, it takes so, well, a Well, this was taking 20 years. But, but I'm saying, say. but even like though you say, like when the legality happens and it just, hey, mm -hmm. we got to put this thing, bill into place. And once it happens, all these things become null and void. That's just how it works. Yeah. That's going to be one solid big move around the world, though, when that thing happens, I'm saying. Oh, definitely. And I think that's why individuals like Donald Trump, when people, when his administration asks him if he wants to legalize cannabis, and they show him the amount of work that it would take to do that internationally, the amount of treaties, the amount of things you'd have to do. No, I'm good off of that. I ain't trying to do all that. So it's going to take somebody with a lot of initiative who wants to make this a priority to do it and do it correctly. Um, same thing with human rights revisions. Same thing with healthcare revisions. Same thing with uh, everything. Ah, the black market. We have this big swoop and change. The black market disappear. Obviously, it's probably not going to disappear. It's still going to be there. I think it's it's part of uh, it's part of a duality. It's part of a singular existence that will never disappear. Yeah. So. Once again, the black market versus the, the white market, I believe they're one. They're not different. So one is just so. because it exists in everything. Well, I, I totally, because then people who would say they're on the black market would say, oh, I'm more libertarian and free you know, market. There's, there's black market packaging. There's black market mangoes on your on the street corner. He doesn't have a permit to sell there. He's just selling mangoes on the corner. That's black market mangoes. So Third world industry. Well, it's 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 human nature. Of course, so of course. So it's it's literally, in my opinion, it's inevitable. At some level, the black market will always exist. What what will end up occurring is that high quality cannabis will be available cheaper from a corporation than your 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 dealer at some point. Mm -hmm. So, and that's an efficiency thing, and that's why I say the the regulations are inevitably going to be bring back down because they're too costly right now. So as they become more or less and less costly, the competitive pricing with your local dealer will become harder and harder for the local dealer to be worth going to. How's the black market in California? It's flourishing. 
Why is it flourishing now? Everything's overpriced, and there's nothing of really high quality in the market right now. And that's something that we're going to end up hopefully being one of the first brands that does so for the living soil market. We had a regulator come in. We passed our first initial track and trace inspection, and he said he's never seen a facility like ours. It's really awesome to see super healthy plants that are surviving off of just the nutrition being made available in the soil. And he said it's the only one like this facility he's seen. So when you start seeing more and more facilities with low cost of production achieve really high quality like we're able to do because we're not business people doing cannabis. We're cannabis growers starting a business. And we're going to see more and more people willing to go to the store to to pay the extra money for the product because this product's worth spending the extra money on. And it's going to come with the quality control testing the regulations demand. Mm -hmm. So when you start getting a whole store full of products that are worth spending the extra money for and furthermore incentivized by the government to lower that price through reducing the regulation cost you're going to start competing with the black market pricing as well and eventually it's an inevitability it'll be at the same ratio you see other crops in the market so there's always a black market for the next five to ten years until we figure out this pricing and how we can create opportunity without stifling growth through overregulation, the black market will continue to flourish because the black market is a lot more anti-fragile than regulations are. Agreed. The um, but why is why is there such a low amount of quality right now in the businessmen city? growing cannabis instead of cannabis growers starting businesses? And it goes back to that same theme where when you create uh, an unequal starting point and unequal opportunities for regular individuals to start businesses you only get financing companies bankers marketing companies with good-looking packaging and crap product those are the only people who are going to get to market first and the first people who are going to get to significant production size so something that we also do is uh we own a distribution license and we're helping a lot of these up north humboldt area farmers who grow organically who grow in the soil and the living sun and greenhouses as well Um, We're helping them distribute their products to some of these bigger markets in Southern California so that we can provide different pricing levels on really high quality product from cannabis farmers who started a business, not business owners who decided to get into cannabis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really took a deep dive into craft cannabis and all the different individual. I think uh, the Swami, I think I sent you his stuff. So you sent me something like that. He's an example of somebody uh, who's a little bit split with someone like myself. So he, he has a very market marketing-based craft style. I wouldn't consider his product craft. So my, my, in my opinion, someone like himself has utilized image and marketing more than being a high-quality cultivator. So I would say that there's even different variations of craft within what looks like craft right now in cannabis. There's things like uh, Cookies brand that have a great brand. There's things like now, Cookies is indoor hydroponic. Swami is outdoor organic. But they're both based on their marketing more than the quality of their product. Um, where I'm more talking about individuals who are consistently producing higher quality uh, products than like the Swami brand does. They, they produce a, a low-tier product. Um, it's in, in my experience, it's high-priced. But something that doesn't really match up in my opinion. But, but it's got a brand. It's got that brand he's recognition. He's got a really good brand. He he's really established himself as a um, a white guy who went to India and became a he has a his swami. Ce- we'll call it a celebrity. Yeah. So he he's developed his celebrity that fits his lifestyle. 
Um, he has some of the same strains we cultivate. What a smart white guy. Just another smart white guy. Uh, so I mean, yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those complicated uh, appropriating cultures. We'll we'll call it finding identity. If, if he finds that to be truthful, I don't know him personally. Yeah, no, knock the Swami. Swami, I've no just smoked you. his flower. I've uh, I've uh, I understand the you know the Swami the the, philo- the philosophy behind it. From my understanding, it's a lot of what I would consider to be um, commercial organic. But it's not a high quality. What we're kind of focusing on is individuals who are looking to achieve craft cannabis, mm-hmm. which I would consider different from. Uh, well, how would you define craft cannabis then? So craft cannabis for me is individuals who are achieving high end results from organic processes. And this would be the same thing with like a beer. Like if I go to a brewery and these are craft brewers, somebody is really targeting and focusing on the so hops usually, and usually the whole process. The process to achieve a goal though. So in, in craft brew, they say, this is the profile I'm looking to uh, represent here. And I tweak the process to achieve consistent, superior results. Just like coffee. Like you go to a place and it's going to have all those profiles. This is a warm Bolivian blend that's going to have with nice chocolate hints and a cherry finish. So when you smoke our stuffed French toast, you're, you're going to teach get, me that to do that. You're going to get hints of uh, cream. You're going to get hints of fuel. You're going to get hints of... Um, I would even say uh, a bakery-like uh, cookie. Then when you go to things like, for example, Gorilla Glue, when we start bringing that back, when you taste our Gorilla Glue, it just doesn't taste like a glue. It actually adds notes of wood and cacao. Yeah, I was going to so, say, why are you why are you want hints of fuel or glue? So with when you smoke... Because I remember I, I smelled that uh-huh. one. The, what's the new uh, strain you just came out with? So the Toasted OG. Yeah, and I just rubbed it. You told me to rub it just like I rub my plants out mm-hmm. here to get a smell in it. And it smells like fuel. Yes. Is, is that a is that a good thing? I mean, so, so that gassy smell when you smoke it comes through as a very cleansing feeling. It's very light and invigorating smoke. You're gone. And basically what the fuel scent creates is almost like a cooling effect. So that flavor profile also has a psychological response that people have. To get high. That, because that is a physiological response. It also is very, very good at getting you higher. So that fuel note amplifies potency. Mm-hmm. So people immediately, once they make that association, not only do they prefer that cool, pleasant pine gas flavor, but they associate it with more potent cannabis. So it amplifies their affinity for it. Mm-hmm. So one, it if you smell fuel, that's going to be something potent. Okay. So and number two, that... That refreshing experience of when the fuel interacts with your biology is something that is very akin to the cooling effect when you put like an aloe or uh, some of those plant rubs on you. Like uh, arugula, ricola, like that that feeling in the back of your throat, that freshness. It's very similar to that. Okay. But again, see, I think this is where you're talking about the education. Like someone who doesn't understand what, oh, this smells like fuel. I don't understand this. Should I not even light this on fire? I mean, you just think of little cues right when you do that. But again, that's, uh-huh. I think the education, like yeah. somebody goes to a wine pairing class. Well, hey, yeah. here's a cannabis pairing class. Or again, that's on the f- tasting side. And then we're talking about people coming in to even understand how you can take these aromas and smells and profiles yeah. out of the dirt. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is, is how it comes out of the dirt and how it's translated by the plant. So each strain is going to translate what's in the dirt, what microbiology, what fungus, what minerals are in the medium. 
and then it's going to be expressed by the way that you burn it. So what we'll be doing is we'll be releasing a set of videos on what I consider to be the ideal ways to consume these products so that when you consume these products, you can consume them in a way that we've kind of tweaked with ourselves over our lifelong uh, use of this product to maximize the experience, similar to the way a sommelier will tell you to uh, first identify and observe the product before you consume it, how to prepare the product to consume it, and then how to even consume it so you can maximize your awareness to be truly present with the plant. And that's what opening up your profile is. Mm -hmm. So like being uh, what a lot of people don't realize is the same criticism you have for some people's politics to where they're not open to new ideas. We, we have to teach people to be open to new flavors and smells so that they can recognize something different. Mm -hmm. Because it always starts with, what is this? I don't understand it. So then you interact with it a couple times and then you start being able to differentiate it. You go, ah, that smells a little like a lemon. That smells a little like an orange. And then chemically, when you see it on a test, you go, wow, they actually share some of the same chemicals. Yeah. And then you start making a confirmed association. And that's where learning really comes from is confirming your association so that you know it's truth. Mm -hmm. So then once you're able to do that, you'll start doing it with all your other herbs. You'll start going, oh, this mint shares the same flavored and smell chemicals the cannabis does so what makes cannabis so interesting is it mimics like thousands of different plants all in one plant mm -hmm. and it does so in these different combinations well sitting down and smoking mm -hmm. for whatever purposes you're sitting on doing same let's thing. say recreational since it's recreational well, I mean, cannabis. i'm getting to a point of like historical significance okay it's the same thing okay. with food you yeah. know people don't really you know we program people that they need to eat three times a day and they lose the importance of what sitting down to a meal with another individual and sharing that moment you know the the whole concept of breaking bread yeah yeah and what okay. that means to people and the same thing goes with cannabis towards mm -hmm. i think like you mentioned that key point of getting an understanding of who someone is getting an understanding of you know the uh, the understanding of the expression and the feeling that's coming out of that and i think that's where people have been able to do it with food you look at anthony bourdain who was able to tie that subliminally to people like hey i'm going to understand a place because i'm going to understand the food and that's a big thing of understanding people mm -hmm. understand the flavors and tastes and how they express themselves in the thing they do the most and the most important thing that we need to do if we feel our bodies mm -hmm. so getting the way that people understand that is like that whole different level spiritual level i think that we're having people sit down to understand the flavors and profiles of the plants yeah, yeah, they're yeah. consuming on a, you that's know, a, that's how they communicate. That's how they express. So yeah. we're listening to plants. And, and what it comes down to is it goes back to that same question you had earlier. How do we get people to understand we promote female energy? So female energy receives male energy uh, expresses. You're getting a lot of white night points today. I, I know it's, it's social it, justice. It's points. truth. It was well, truth. So we've lived <laughs> it. We lived in, 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 a, in, a, in, in male energy for the longest. And now that we're learning to receive again. That's what we need to educate. We need to learn how to receive. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're teaching to be aware of our, our mental state. We're teaching awareness of our emotional state. And when it comes to cannabis enjoyment, we're teaching the expression of plants. So this is how plants create art. So we're appreciating plant art here. And that's why when you consume it, you then take it to another level. You get to connect directly with it. And like you said, it becomes social when you get to enjoy it with others. Mm -hmm. So it creates a shared experience of art in some way. And that's why I think if we can educate individuals that this is art, people will care about getting the highest production of art like they do in the art world. They pay more for what is considered to be the most unique, whatever makes high end art. We should look at plants the same way. 
So the method of production should matter. The quality should matter. The complexity should matter. Some people look for the simplicity. Some people, all they want is a is a plug-and-play cartridge. So we like to think that we'll offer all of that, but at the same time educate individuals to understand how they're interacting with it. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to come out of the shadows? I honestly can say it's been one of the, the weirdest transitions in my life. You know me pretty well. I transitioned from soccer full-time athlete towards trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I was going to law school and I was still starting a cannabis company towards living four or five years in a medical market, which as many people understand still has its own interesting dynamic and then really outing yourself because you really operate in a shadow type environment when you're operating under the medical environment and trying to grow a brand. So it was something that it was a really weird transition for us because you're kind of risking everything. You're putting everything on paper. You're making yourself completely kind of vulnerable. And at the same time, you have to sacrifice a lot to move into this market. So a lot of people call it selling out. In my opinion, it's synergistic combination that, sure, we're the mitochondria of the cell here and we make the powerhouse run, but we need the rest of the cell to make this entire thing work. So right now we're going through that, that transition era where, you know, working with with business type individuals to achieve things that, you know, if it was much simpler, we probably could do on our own. But with the way that the current market is, if you want to exist in the current market, you got to transition. So it's not only a, an opportunity for personal growth, but professional growth. So I would say it's been a huge moment of growth, which if anybody who's gone through significant growth knows how uncomfortable that is. So it's been enjoyable, though, because I'm getting to what I would think is the other side of it. Legally, can you say, like, hey, I used to sell marijuana or cannabis? Sure, because Not technically legally? you were allowed to sell it medically. Okay. You start talking about quantities, amounts, frequency, yeah. um, things like that. Some of those details would be admitting, you know, committed crimes. At some point, I'm sure there will be a, a statute of limitations that pass, and everybody will be able to talk about whatever they wanted. But at some level, like I said, for me, they still have these, they've created these new restrictions on personal um, possession and personal growing at home so that a lot of people I know still operate in what is considered a black market when something that I can, I think that they should be legally allowed to do. Um, We've created this false duality where the commercial market competes with the at-home grower. And I don't believe they do. If if the at-home grower is producing something superior and is able to outsell a commercial entity, then that's the commercial entity's fault, in my opinion. It's not because the at-home grower has a significant advantage. So that's one of the things that I think uh, hopefully changes so that the transition is a little bit easier for people of the future. Um, Hopefully we'll get to reap the rewards of going through this very uncomfortable time of change and uh, take advantage of the opportunity that we've been able to uh, be blessed with and uh, be able to really take the reins of. Yeah, we'll see. Still a weird growing time. Whether yeah, it's politics, it cannabis. Is. I mean, it's just it's just uh, a bunch of rubbing your shoulders up against other people who are rubbing their shoulders and everybody trying to find their place. Pubes- puberty. Everybody, yeah, everybody's yeah. pubescent right now. And, and cannabis is, I think, a perfect example of that kind of analogy. The entire world, really. We're all trying to come to terms with modernity as advanced or sophisticated society is or as lowbrow a society is. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we all, was it 4 billion people have access to the internet now? Yeah. 
um, you know, markets are just opening up to ways people can connect and sell products or, you know, become individual businesses yeah. for themselves. It's, it's actually an incredible time for entrepreneurship, I believe. I think it's only going in that direction, yeah. positive to be an entrepreneur and to create, you know, the, the reality and world for yourself. And yeah, I mean, I, I just look at it as a positive way. Any downside you see to any of this? I, Don't I, like the direction it's moving? I, I'm uh, Trump straws. It, it it gets right back into just manifesting what you want. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's not and, that much plastic, and 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 not allowing. So, for example, like like I, I'll I'll use that as an example. So I think we all have our own ironic contradictions. So like I use plastic cups and preach sustainability, um, but for example, at the same time, um, I think that we can promote and manifest what we believe in. So like for me, I still promote and try to manifest a sustainable outlook on usage of things like plastic straws and plastic bags. I still use sometimes plastic bags. I use Ziploc bags. Mm. So there is that contradiction that we exist within. Um, I think the next era of our existence and things that we're going to manifest will all move us in a direction of more and more high frequency of beneficial habits. Mm -hmm. So the more and more you can be aware of things like the downsides of plastic straws and things, and utilize new, better processes for yourself, it ends up being a little bit infectious to where everybody ends up doing it because it makes more sense. And that's what it comes with, you know, high-quality cannabis products for ourselves or even how we package, how we manufacture. Everything we do, we try to instill these principles where we can and be reasonable where you can't and always keep the holistic cycle in mind even if you can't always change the entire thing. And that's where it comes back to find wisdom and slowness. So sometimes moving slow, there's a lot of wisdom in it because it it stops you from making five mistakes you don't need to make. Did you see the podcast with uh, Cornell West on Joe Rogan's? No, I uh, didn't. Unreal. I'm surprised. I mean, I've listened to the guy speak before. And he's an amazing, brilliant speaker. Who is he? Dr. Cornell West. Um, big, uh, another one of Bernie Sanders' uh, big hype men. Okay. Um, he is a... Black, uh, as a pastor, scholar, um, mm-hmm. teaches at Harvard University right now. Really, really intelligent individual. I want to read his book, Race Matters. Because um, I heard him speak and then watching, listening to him talk with Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Like, you ever like get a conversation so, so intimate and so, so many different ways to hear an individual. I wouldn't say any negative biases. I just never uh, really researched who he was. Yeah. And, you know, he really layered it on this point. And I think it's the point that everybody can't see, uh, fails to see. Mm-hmm. You were talking about going wisdom and moving slow yeah and it's all we can really do especially want to make you know great impactful changes is to be that change it's to be that example from not using the plastics and going off and just and it's it's the idea of jesus it's the Mm -hmm. idea of looking at somebody who can be so meek so modest not anything of the man but the idea that we had in this perfect individual yeah or the individual who had even his own flaws as the man and god Mm -hmm. that he's perceived to be because we so quote unquote are the envision of God. Yeah. So we can go out there and just exhibit those things and portray the things. I call it the Jesus effect because that's my little ego saying like, hey, I'm just trying to be Jesus. I'm yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. exhibit the positivity and the great change I want to see in order to, to see it because that's the only way mm-hmm. you're able to see it in your time frame. To yeah. Be present on it. And that goes back to that when I was like, the have the experience and then put the new understanding in action. Mm-hmm. So that's like the Jesus part of it. It's like first part to, to be able to live like Jesus, you have to be able to be present and aware. Mm-hmm. So like that's like the first half and then the second half. It's like once you're present and aware, then when you have the opportunity, you can reflect upon 
when you were present and understand that you okay I can react differently I can be different okay I've been buying plastic straws every day for my life oh I can just not get straws I can not get plastic tops you know so being aware and then enacting that change is really what makes the difference and what they've actually shown is when you start enacting the change that's when you see an epigenetic response in your DNA coding so whether it be in plants life when you create a change for their experience and you change their experience and based on their experience you then add a new awareness for them by changing their biological state or by their mineral state um, they epigenetically change we can do the same thing with humans although it's a little bit less visible with humans than it is with plants mm-hmm. yeah he, he had this unreal quote of thought I'm gonna leave it Dex I know you guys gotta go Jesus never laughed and then Socrates this man of like philosophical thought he never cried think a certain way and understand people and understand the world but can never invoke those emotions in order to to be the world that he could understand so well yeah yeah. and it was just that was just a mind-blowing one just quotes from the gospel and saying jesus never never uh, never laughed never had that experience of of that uh, opposite experience or it was never portrayed Mm -hmm. that this person or this idea of man and god Mm -hmm. couldn't feel this way it was just it's a moving thought just to really really harp on yeah, yeah. I find it interesting because I think it goes back to the, the false dual, duality of, we'll call it Judeo-Christian thought. Yeah. Well, that I just don't that think God understand. can't be human and we can't understand. And at the same time, we can understand, but then we can't be human, um, which I don't, I don't think to be true. Like I said, I'm the opposite of that. So I would say that it's all true and you can be both. Um, and only when you do, do you achieve uh, synchronicity. So whether or not you find that to be desirable, you know, is I guess up for you to decide. But I think that's the difference between what I would say is the the classical understanding of life versus what I consider to be the new understanding, uh, the holistic understanding, is that when you cycle and synchronize, you can overcome that false duality, that false dichotomy that is the same issue you have with Republicans who can't listen to Democrats, Democrats who can't listen to Republicans, because that person created a false duality where I'm good and they're, they're evil. So if you just look at them as the same as you, then you at least leave the opportunity for understanding. And that goes back to that same thing where it's like, if you can see God as somebody who can laugh and somebody who can cry, then you can be God. Mm-hmm. I see that to be a far superior mental model than you can never be perfect, so just try. Absolutely. So that's why I like, I think that that Christian Judeo mental model is dying and you're going to see a new one that could be built on the same religion and maybe updated version. But I think we're going to see this new, uh, this new level of, uh, what'd you say? Age of empires where we get into sustainable, uh, sustainable regenerative polyculture and regenerative being the key word because it, it, it finishes the cycle we've, we haven't worried about before. So we've become more aware of decay, and we're going to start understanding how we turn decay into life. And once we can understand the, the, the cycling aspect of it, we'll be more sustainable people. Mike, Miguel, Michael, Hinden, thanks for coming on the show. You have a new strain out. Can we tell people where to get that, or can we tell them where to go yeah, find that? Yeah, definitely. Go check it out. It's going to be dropping, I'm sure, from the Earth in Orange County first. There's going to be a couple more stores we'll be announcing on the Instagram. We get our test results back the first week of august so we'll be able to start releasing products then what test results do you guys for each batch gets test each basket <coughs> compliance tested so those strains will be the first time we release toasted og and stuffed french toast blueberry french toast and crumb cake 
We will also have concentrates that will release of the strains as well. So you'll be able to get uh, and, and to experience what indoor regenerative polyculture produces uh, when it was produced at such a high level, we call it uh, precision cultivation. So uh, I like to think that this is the pinnacle of craft cannabis. So definitely go and check out our Instagram at Private Stock Veterans so you can stay up to date what stores are closer to you to try out these products. And if not, run on down to From the Earth in Orange County and you'll be able to get the full lineup of products. Perfect. Folks, that's it. Head down to Orange County. You're going to get the buds there. Or just head over to Private Stock Veterans and Private Stock Veganics to learn more about the new new harvest that they got coming out. And we shot a video out at their facility, their 160-acre grow. I'm probably not getting the rest of the details. They have over 8,000 square feet of canopy. Am I right there? Yeah. That's not the same thing? Okay. Well, anyways, that is where they're at. There's a video of that. We took a tour. We talked with Michael out there and got to see some of the, the new grow. So if you want to go check out a look at it, before you get to even see it in stores, go check it out on this YouTube channel. It'll be another video. I'll be linking it right here. And thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Make sure to hit subscribe, like, share, all the good stuff, all the questions you have about cannabis. Throw them in the, bo- in the comment box down below. And connect with Michael himself. He's a hot beige of information. He's got it all. He knows it all. And he will tell you exactly how he feels about it. Trust me. I know. And, yeah. Guys, if you like this stuff, you can go ahead and support it on Patreon. But if you don't have cash and you don't want to support us on Patreon, there will be some merch coming. And the biggest way and best way to support this stuff is to share it. Like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. It really helps people see more of these videos. And it helps them learn about this process. This is a brand new field. It's a brand new thing. Not many people get to understand and see this stuff. So go and check it out and share it and open up a conversation. It's the only way we can be the world, changing the world if we start doing it ourselves. So the bus is out. See you guys later. For those who...